Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Can we pray before we start? Father, we thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're grateful for a gospel like John, where we have been able to explore and experience Jesus by his Spirit because of the love of the Father. So today as we explore a part of John chapter 21, we ask that your Spirit would speak deep within our hearts, that we would see and appreciate Jesus all the more. And all God's children said, Amen. Wonderful. So John chapter 21, I am going to go from John chapter 21 and from verses 1 through to 14, it really is quite um, a great passage. I, I just get excited every time I was reading through this again. This whole week I've been meditating on it. And, and a few things that have been jumping out to me that we're going to just explore together. John chapter 21 and verse 1 through 14. And maybe a few verses after that. Okay, John chapter 21 and verse 1. After this... Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Verse 9 says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the nets, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. My assignment this morning is to share a message titled, From the Workplace to the Fireplace. From the Workplace to the Fireplace. John chapter 21, the last chapter we read from John's Gospel, and just before actually, at the end of John 20, says something pretty profound in verse 30. And this is important for us. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may, you may have life in his name. So one of the great purposes that John puts this narrative together, this historical narrative together, also a theological construct, he's trying to do something and tell us something about God, is he's telling us that Jesus is divine and equal with his Father, and the Holy Spirit is also equal with Jesus. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are together. They are one, this trinity of persons, distinct, unique, but together, and they are one. And John does this in such a way where he lays out these incredible I am statements and signs or miracles, not just to tell us that God is good and he did amazing things. It's to convince us, as signs do, they point to a different reality. The miracles were there to point to the miracle worker. The signs were there to help us realize that Jesus is God. He's real. He's divine. And it's to convince us. Not just to believe, but to continue believing. Let's read it again, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. New Living Translation says that you may continue to believe. This is one of the great reasons why testimonies about God's goodness is so important to us, because it provokes us to deepen our faith and continue to trust in Him. That's what John's doing. We read something here, not necessarily we, we would call it a sign or a miracle, but there is some great feat that takes place here with this fishing expedition. Uh, so Jesus has been crucified, He has risen from the dead, and He has revealed Himself on a couple of occasions. John 20 tells us about this. He, he appears to Mary Magdalene. He reveals himself to her, and also the disciples and Thomas. And there's another occasion that we read about just now. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Who revealed Jesus? He did it himself. Karl Barth says, this great theologian, he says, only God can reveal God. Jesus chooses to reveal himself. How does he do it? By his Spirit. We talk about Pentecost and Pentecost Sunday because it's only by the Spirit of God that we can encounter the Son of God. I can't, I can't help you see Jesus. The Spirit does that. Only God can truly help you to know God. Only God can do that. I can kind of point you in a certain direction. I can do my best to convince you. But in terms of your eyes being awakened and opened or your deaf ears to be able to hear again, that's a work of God himself that does it. If you're here this morning or you're streaming in and you're struggling to know who God is for yourself, not through a parent, not through a child, not through a neighbor, not through a pastor, not through a colleague, it's got to come from God himself. Ask God to help you. Say, God, I'm struggling in my life. I need you to help me see you. I can't see the wood from the trees at the moment. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. One great passion of the Spirit is to help us see and appreciate and enjoy Jesus for who he is, not just as some dude that walked the earth, not just some legend we read about, but as our Lord, as our Savior, only the Holy Spirit can truly do that. 
And so that's what we read about right here. Jesus chose to reveal himself, but it didn't yet happen. It didn't yet happen until after this great haul of fish came in. Let's read, if we can, verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. I think that's a footnote there. You're naming five disciples. Why not name the other two? You know, everything that's included in the Bible is done so for a reason. God has intention for it. I, 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 have, a, I have a fascination for these no-name people because I'm a no-name person, but I'm still important to God. I think it's important that when Jesus does something like this, he points out, there were seven disciples, the five I'll name, two I won't. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if their names are recorded, but they're still important. Any other no-name disciples here? That's me. Thank you, Lord. Simon Peter said to them, as the fisherman would, as the leader, he says, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we're going to go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught zip. They went back to work. Jesus rose again, and instead of making disciples, they're going back to fishing. And there's been a lot of conversation about, well, they were doing the right thing, they were doing the wrong thing. Well, they had to eat, well, they had to live. Well, why weren't they going and making disciples like Jesus told them to? We don't need to get into that. But we know that they were out working all night long, but they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So they were out on the boat. There were seven of, them, seven of them out on a boat fishing. It's morning time. They're tired. They're probably sweaty. They're exhausted and a little bit disappointed. And some fella on the shoreline yells out, Hey, children, have you caught anything yet? Taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus likes to show up at very inconvenient times. They didn't know it was him, but he was there at a certain time, at a certain place, at work. Is it possible that Jesus could show up at work? Is it possible that Jesus could show up at play? Is it possible that Jesus could show up when we're at the gym, when we're playing sport? When we're walking the dog, is that just, just, just a question? Could Jesus show up at a time that is inconvenient to us? What do you mean, not at church, not in a service? Yeah, I wonder if Jesus sometimes does like to show up outside of a window on a Sunday. <laughs> or when we're opening our Bibles, does he show up as we're reading our Bibles? Yes, he does. But can he show up outside of that? Of course he can. Even if we're not expecting. Even if we're not ready. So Jesus shows up at times. And he just does the old pop-in thing. You know, God invented the pop-in, don't you? He just shows up. Here I am. But at this point, they had not yet seen him because God had not yet revealed himself. I wonder if it was inconvenient for the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. 
who was getting water in the middle of the day and then Jesus shows up. Was that convenient? What about in John chapter 5? Where the man that couldn't walk was at the pool of Bethesda. Was that convenient when Jesus showed up there and a miracle took place? What about in John chapter 9, there was a a man who was born blind and Jesus just happened to be at that time and place walking past. Was that convenient? What about Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20? At the tomb, Jesus, he shows up. God invented a pop-in. I wonder if we would let him pop into our worlds and if we'd be able to see him. I wonder if he's showing up at certain times throughout our week, and like the disciples, we missed him. But this isn't just a New Testament thing. What about the Old Testament? What about what about God showing up in a burning bush? Well, that's out of the norm. What about with Samuel? In the middle of the night, God shows up. Is that you, Lord? That's a bit inconvenient. What about what about Daniel in the lion's den? Uh, Lord, can't you see I'm uh, about to get eaten here? Can you leave me alone? Bit inconvenient. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, and God rocks up? Lord, uh, we're looking forward to being singed to a crisp right about now. What are you doing here? God shows up at moments in our lives. At times we realize that it's him. At times we don't. And 2020 vision is beautiful because in hindsight, like in the road to Emmaus, oh, was our hearts not burning? He was with us the whole time. Have you had those moments with him where in hindsight you look back and go, he was with me even there and then. Lord, help me let you invade my personal space. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away. It's better for you because if I go, then the Holy Spirit can come. Jesus was with his disciples. He would come and go. But it was better that Jesus went so that the Spirit would come and have moments where he could show up to you at the same time at a different location to how he would show up with you. Same time, different location, in different ways. That's the beauty of God. So Jesus does indeed like to show up at very inconvenient times. But his... Here's what else we can find. Let's read on. Children, do you have any fish? It's almost like saying, hey, lads, have you caught anything? No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. So that's John talking about himself. Again, bragging about, you know, it's me, the one that Jesus loves and all. <laughs> I, I, I saw him first. And then what happens, so Peter, Peter gets wind of this, and um, 
when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Every time I read that, I just get shivers. He threw himself into the sea. Jesus with wreck. Jesus reveals himself to John. Peter hears about it with reckless abandon. He throws himself into the sea. I, I can't wait for the boat to go to the shoreline. I need to get in there myself. He throws himself into the sea. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me throw myself at you. At any revelation that you give me of yourself. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. There was this amazing sign, this amazing feat of all these fish, 153 fish that were caught. 153. You know what the significance of 153 is? If you take the numbers 1 and 5 and 3, you get 9, right? If you multiply that by 4, you get 36. If you add five, you get 41. That's my age. That's, that's what the 153 actually means. What are you laughing for? What? What? Do you know there's been so much conversation about what the 153 is from Augustus, uh, excuse me, from Augustine to, 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 to commentators less known. Everyone talks about the 153. I think it was recorded because these are fishermen. This is what they did. It's their craft. It's like, have you ever... Have you ever met a guy or, or, or a gal who's caught fish? I was this big. It was that long. I caught this fish. That's what they did. They, they, they keep records. It's, it's in their business to keep records. There was 153, and they were large fish. So they were toiling all night long. They're working, and, and then they hear a voice from the shoreline say, hey, throw it over the right side of the boat. And so they did it. They did it. They didn't know it was Jesus. They didn't know he was an expert. What... What is so important for us here is to pick up. Divine directives are not always obviously divine. There was a divine directive given by Jesus himself, but it wasn't obviously divine at that moment. And that, that for me is a lesson. I have got to pay attention to God's directions that he gives that may not be obvious in the present moment that it's from him. Let's think that through a little bit further. Is it possible that God sovereignly speaks and directs through someone you work with or a person you're married to or a child you raise or a parent who looks after you or a neighbor you live next to? Just a question. Is it possible that God could give direction through even someone that's not even saved, someone that's not yet a believer? Is it possible? Of course it is. And so for us as God's children, Lord, may we have discernment. Is that you? Does God speak through his word, through his Bible? Absolutely he does. Does he speak through sermons? A hundred percent he does. Does he speak uh, through worship moments, prayer moments? Absolutely he does. But he's not limited to those moments. I mean, this is God and he's holy. Divine directives are not always, obviously, divine. I'm going to introduce um, Perio to come to the stage. Perio is going to come and share a moment in her life where she was trying to work out 
whether or not God was speaking to her and her husband about a situation some 40 years ago. Yeah, uh, roughly about 40 years ago, um, we lived in Canberra at that time and uh, we had uh, uh, three small children. And uh, my late husband, Kari, did have to go to Bahrain work. And first reaction, I, I said, no, I'm not going there. Uh, especially at that time, it was Iran and Iraq was in the war. So I said, I'm not going to take the small children close by. So he waited for a couple of weeks and then he talked to me again and he said, we need to go there. And uh, I said, okay. And then I said to God, I said, God, okay, um, I will go. But I need to know then when we go there if there's any reason for me to go there. So when we go, okay, so off we went there and uh, we did uh, went to church and uh, then I met ladies there. They said they have a ladies' meeting, so would you come? And I said, okay, I will come. I went to a ladies' meeting and uh, they always said to every new person, said, give us a testimony of your life, you know. And uh, I told them and I said, uh, I've been healed from MS. And I told the story. And after the ladies' meeting, then the leader came to me and said, you are answered to our prayers. We've been praying for years to somebody to come here and testify that God is a healer still. That healing somebody who's got the sickness or illness that Doctors can't do anything. So that was the answer to them. That then the other ladies at the church who didn't believe, they could see that, yes, God is still healing people. So my healing actually happened about six months before we went to Bahrain. I had an MS for years, and it wasn't always easy, especially with the three small children, and oldest was, was very disabled. I couldn't walk always properly, so I just crawled. And one day, I said to God, I went to a church, asked prayer, pray home, nothing happened. And one day, I said to God, I'm so sick of being sick. That's all. I didn't beg. I didn't pray. That's all what I said. So God said straight away to me, said, I'll heal you. And at the same time, he gave me this faith that nothing could broke that fight. And, of course, people didn't believe because they didn't see outside, you know. So I went to a doctor's and asked all the, that I want to go get all tests done again. And I went through, came back negative. I didn't have a MS anymore. I was healed <laughs> totally, totally. And God can do this today. Even it happened to me about 40 years ago, he's still the same God. And I got the word for you. Um, Holy Spirit want to say to you, you are faithful servant. Very faithful servant. And he's very proud of you. And he said he has done covenant with you. He said every time when you see the rainbow outside, remember, he's covenant with you. He's standing with you. And he keep his promises always. He will answer to your prayers. Just be patient and faithful. Stand strong. And your answers will be answered. Your prayers will be answered.
Well, she took the liberty there, gave her the microphone, stitched me up. Maybe I can give you the microphone, Susan McLooney. Yeah, thank you. That interesting with Perio's testimony there. Multiple cirrhosis she'd been battling with for decades was healed. Six months later, goes to Bahrain in the middle of the war. And her faith resulted in the strengthening of others' faith. That these signs, maybe that you would believe or continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. See what a testimony like that does for us, doesn't it? I wonder, I wonder, perhaps your faith might help bring breakthrough for someone else on another part of the world. And the outset of that conversation, you weren't sure about going to Bahrain. But perhaps that was a divine direction that wasn't so obvious for a work set up. How often is God trying to speak or direct us in moments like that, that we just ignore, let it go, dismiss? Shall we read on? Verse 9 says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Notice how he already had fish there. He didn't need the fish. He already had the fish there. And then, and then the vegetarians are going to love this next verse. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. <laughs> so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, not little guppies, not little blowies. Trevor Wiseman catches a few of those in his day. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love that Jesus cares enough about us, not just to show up, but to say, dine with me. Here again is another testament that Jesus Christ is in his resurrected body. What is it? He, ha- he has a physical, glorified physical body. He, 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 he ate with his disciples. People, you could read Thomas, would touch him. There was, there was something physical to him. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples did ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now the following verses, it talks about when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Because of time, I'm not going to go into it. But Jesus then at that moment has a personal conversation with Simon Peter. Let's go back a few verses. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. A charcoal fire. The word for charcoal fire used there is is an interesting one. It's anthrakia. In the New Testament, that's only used in one other place, charcoal fire, anthrakia. If you read a few chapters earlier, there was a charcoal fire. Who remembers where that was? 
Peter, where Peter denied. There was an anthrakia. There was a charcoal fire in John chapter 18. Can I put you on the spot? Go to around about verse 18 if you can, Trev. Actually, go to verse 17, which shows he denies, and then 18 will, will show the charcoal fire. Verse 17 of chapter 18. There we go. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you, are, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. There's that same word, anthrakia. That's really interesting. Because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. There is a charcoal fire that Peter is denying Jesus. By this charcoal fire... And Jesus, interestingly, decides to use a charcoal fire. Remember, there's no accidents. The Bible is an incredible book that God intentionally puts together, inspired by His Spirit. And there is this anthrakia, this charcoal fire, that then, after eating and dining and enjoying some time with the disciples, Jesus has a dialogue with the very man who was feeling Three times we read. How would, how would Peter have felt? I wonder how Peter would have felt. Final point, your place of rebellion can become your place of restoration. Your place of rebellion can become your place of restoration. This is a sovereign work of God. I don't believe that there is an accident here. I believe Jesus knew what he was doing. He had a charcoal fire and, and was showing Peter, Peter, this, this, this scene you remember, I'm with you, mate. Let's eat together. Let's talk together. Do you love me? Do you love me? I'm with you. Have you had a charcoal fire moment perhaps in your life where there has been denial of God around a certain thing or place or prospect? Rejection of God? Rebellion with God. Do you know in those moments, God is not ashamed of you or that? Brainwave for some of us this morning, God's not ashamed of our sin. Do you know that? That our struggles, our addictions, our envy, our fear, our greed, our hatred, our idolatry, our jealousy, our malicious intent, our pride, God is not ashamed of that. Jesus died on a cross and he took all the shame and it was paid for in full. And so I don't need to have any shame for any sin anymore because it has been paid for in full. So why would I need to carry that anymore? If you can think back on these moments in your life where you've warmed your, your, yourself as you've denied God or had comfort at a certain point where you've rebelled or rejected. Know this, that God is with you. And he says, hey, come back. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm going to use that. And I want to see you restored. I want to see you whole. And I want you to know that that mess can become part of your message. 
Have you yet had an Anthracia moment? And I want you to know, friends, maybe you haven't yet encountered who he is. We're going to finish with communion in just a moment. Um, but you need to know that whether it be in the workplace or the fireplace, he's with you. And he says, come. Come with me. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to do great things in and through and for you. And I don't want you to miss out abiding in me, enjoying me, savoring me. Let's stand together, can we? It says in John chapter 21, at the very end, it says this. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Imagine in this room, I just got a couple of simple testimonies up to share. But with both Perio and David, they have a smorgasbord more of testimonies of the goodness of God. Now then multiply that with all of our testimonies, the people that we're connected to. Can you imagine all the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the breakthroughs that God has accomplished? Is that not something to celebrate Him for? It's only because of the cross. It's only because of what Jesus has done for us, that we can enjoy Him, that we can savor Him as we see Him. We're going to finish just out now with communion. And uh, for those streaming in, uh, feel free to pray and lean in with us as we do this together. But I want us, if we can, to imagine ourselves around this charcoal fire with Jesus. If you can, just posture your heart in that way. And know this, that all Jesus is asking is, He's saying this, do you love me? Do you love me? Don't worry about the sin and the shame and the guilt. Don't worry about that. I'm aware of that. But I'm with you in the middle of that. And I want to bring restoration. I want to bring reconciliation. I want to bring redemption. I want to turn it around. That what the enemy has intended for evil and harm, I want to turn around for good. When you're ready, why don't you open up your communion. Grab the wafer. Give the good uh, shake of the juice if you haven't already. And we're going to remember him together. I'm going to turn, if I can, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 very briefly. Paul writes this. Verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we have some bread or a wafer. We've got a cup of juice. And I want to invite us as a church family to just lean in. Imagine ourselves around this charcoal fire with Jesus just now. And just let him know, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you for giving up your life. We thank you for the broken body. We thank you for the spilled blood, the sacrifice, the covenant of grace that you've given for us. As the team sing this song just now as they play, and as you're ready, as you're led, why don't you just partake of the wafer and the juice together. We thank you, Lord, and we come to you in Jesus' name, and we proclaim your death, your victory, your resurrection until you come again in bodily form. We thank you so very much. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you for adoption into your family. Thank you for eternal life, all by grace. We remember and we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of life. Thank you, Jesus, who has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. Brought me from the darkness into glorious thank you for the blood of Jesus that conquers that saves that redeems that forgives and that grants eternal life and Lord as your children we want to thank you for the grace that we have in Jesus Father help us understand the invitation that you've given to us each and every day no matter where we're out at work or play 
whether we're driving our car or at home washing the dishes, to see you act and speak in every moment. Father, where we've, where we've put boundaries around our heart and we've said you can't speak to us in those times or situations. Lord, we just cast those boundaries to one side and we say, Lord, you can invade any space of our hearts. And Lord, we ask if there is sin or shame that may have got in the way in our relationship with you, Father, we bring it to the cross and we say thank you for dealing with it. Lord, may we be able to minister the gospel of the good news of Jesus in grace to those around about us every single day. And Lord, for going through a great series like John, we thank you, but Lord, we look forward ahead as well as we explore the work and person of the Holy Spirit now. Thank you for your goodness. May we become increasingly attentive and sensitive and obedient to your spirit each and every day. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.